Well, good morning. Um, good morning to all of those who are uh, joining us from home. Um, it, this is odd. This is definitely odd, but what a blessing that we have the ability to gather together even while we're separate. And uh, we are thrilled that we can do that this morning and that you are joining us um, by Facebook or whichever means you are joining us. So um, here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to spend some time uh, doing some singing and uh, we will um, then try to answer the question of what is true? What is true medically? What is true biblically and how we respond? And the key theme through this whole morning is that salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the one ultimately that we rely on. We take wise action and we have confidence in God. And those two go together. So I look forward to worshiping with you this morning, even as we are separated. And would you join me in prayer as we commit this time to the Lord? Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious. You are our protector. You watch over us. Lord, your scripture is clear that you unite us. And this morning, and at times like this, when we cannot be physically together, we are reminded that our unity and that the body of Christ is not connected through buildings, but connected through you and your Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ. Lord, may you be glorified this morning by everything we do as we look to you for our comfort, for our peace, and for our protection. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's sing. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven. And spoke your name into the night And through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine? Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages step down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven 
to grace Oh to grace How great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to thee Let thy goodness Like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wonder Lord I feel it Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart oh, Take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above Here's my heart oh, Take and seal it, seal it for thy person. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith, that you are sovereign, that you are guiding the steps of every heart that follows you, God. We ask that you draw us close to you this morning, whether we're here or whether at home or watching with family or friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, whether you're watching right now online or you're uh, watching this this week after we've posted it, uh, we're just, um, we're glad that we are able together as a church um, even during some scary and, and you, know, you could say dark times, but we are able together to look up to Jesus, uh, to look to where our hope comes from. So I'm Adam McMahon. I'm the executive pastor and uh, one of the few people who are actually here at the service uh, and glad for you to be here. Uh, so due to the coronavirus, I have a few of announcements. Uh, and we have a need for social distancing. So everything up here at our church facilities over the next two weeks will not be happening. Uh, simply, we need uh, to recognize the need. I mean, we have long views. Uh, all the school districts are closed. We just recognize the need to be uh, distant for a little bit, but we can still stay connected uh, online. So th what that includes, um, you can see, I, follow, I clicked a link, I shared a link uh, onto the online bulletin uh, in the comments on Facebook. So you can see those. Uh, what that means is a lot of those events are not going to be happening over the next two weeks. That includes the church work day on Saturday, uh, the men's pray and play dinner after the work day is not going to happen. We'll be rescheduling, I'm sure, both of those things and anything else that's happening over the next two weeks. We will continue to have, uh, we'll schedule. And we also want to say, we want to encourage your small groups. If you're a part of a small group, if you're a small group leader, uh, and we'll send out uh, comments and, and um connect with you about this during the week as well. But we want to encourage you to not meet over the next couple of weeks. Uh, still connect with your people in your small group. Find out how they're doing as we want to hear as church leadership how they're doing as well. But we do encourage you to not uh, get together to meet uh, in a, a larger group together as a small group. And also as things change, and it seems like things keep changing every time we think we know what's happening, the next thing happens. And as things continue, Continue to change. We want to hear from you. 
We still want to connect with you, and we want to know how you're doing. Uh, if you or a family member is affected in any way by this, whether that means by the, the disease itself or, or in some other way, if you're struggling in any way, even if you're just you know, struggling because of some anxiety from this, we want to hear from you. We want to connect with you, and we want to know how you're doing. We have a few different ways that we connect with people. You can follow us on Facebook. Um, and presumably, if you're watching this video, you know how to do that. Uh, you can join the Facebook group. That's a great group of people uh, at fellowship that are, uh, we are able to care for one another. It's not just the leadership of the church just to make an announcement. We connect with each other as uh, the family of fellowship. And so I encourage you to join our Facebook group. And if you haven't signed up for our weekly email that Todd sends out, Pastor Todd sends out called the Midweek Moment, now's a great opportunity to do that. We'll be keeping you up to date uh, through those email chains as well. And so sign up for that. There's a link on all of those things at the bottom of our website at longviewfbc.com, and you can be able to do that. Now, I want to tell you guys uh, about online giving. Uh, we, we do believe that giving is an act of worship, and so as a part of our worship service, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to give, even if you're only able to connect online as we uh, maintain some social distance as they uh, keep telling us to do. And, but we want to give you an opportunity to give. And you can do that online. So on our website, on longviewfbc.com, at the top, there's a link. So if you go to longviewfbc.com right now, or if you text this number, 77977, to lo and you text longviewfbc to that number, you'll, it'll send you a link. Either way, you go to that link, and it'll give you, it'll show a, a page that gives you an opportunity to choose how much you give. And then you just follow through. It's all very secure. You don't have to worry about uh, any information getting stolen. It's got two-factor authentication and all of that really good, important stuff. So you can uh, be secure that your giving is going to be secure. It will go to... Uh, the church in the service that we offer. So we will put a link in the comments. Actually, I'll do that when I uh, walk down and uh, you can follow that link as well. Now, if you have any questions about anything, whether it's something that you see in the bulletin or what we're talking about today, anything at all, or you want to let us know how you're doing, um, text our texting number. It's 903-290-1395. Uh, let me say that again. It's 903-290-1395. We'll interact with you on that. Uh, you can give me a call or text me at my personal number, 903-265-8085. If you need anything at all, please connect with us. You can, um, we'll be monitoring our Facebook group, so you can interact there as well. We really do. We want to hear from you. We want to connect with you during this time. Um, we'll be doing everything we can to keep you up to date as a, fellow, as a, as a family, as a fellowship family. Uh, now, I want to invite Pastor Todd and Dr. Walgama up here. They're going to discuss what's going on and, and how we can interact with what's going on uh, during this time. Thank you, Adam. For those who don't know, this is Dr. Allison Walgama. She is my doctor, and I think doctor to about, oh, 50% of the church. Um, yes, honored to be. Thanks. So um, I am very excited to have her up here. The point of having her up here is we, again, as, as I said earlier, trying to answer the question of what is true. 
And there is so much competing information that we are getting that um, I asked uh, Dr. Walgama if she would join us this morning and help us sort through some of that. And she has graciously agreed to do that. So I'm going to just ask you some questions. And uh, I want to start with, explain COVID-19 to us and the nature of the risks that it presents. Sure, Todd. First of all, I want to say thanks for inviting me. And also, um, I was telling Todd earlier, I'm certainly not an expert in coronavirus, but I am your local family physician just trying to help us navigate these difficult waters. Um, this is a novel virus, meaning it's new and we've only known about it for about 90 days, uh, so th there probably are not many experts on the virus. Um, but we, uh, so there's a lot of things we don't know about the virus, but there are some things that we do know that we've learned from our colleagues who have already sort of been through the fire, so to say, um, in China and Italy and even here in the United States, mostly on the West Coast. Um, but the, the three things that I wanted to kind of point out today was the symptoms of the virus. We've, we've all by now probably familiar with the symptoms of fever, cough, and shortness of breath being the main symptoms, um, but it can be very variable. Uh, I also wanted to highlight the spread of the disease uh, is mainly through respiratory droplets. So that's why the CDC has instructed us to keep distance from each other and also um, to not meet in groups and uh, to cover our cough, wash our hands, that type of thing. Uh, we also know that the virus can live on surfaces for quite a long time, and uh, that presents a problem. Uh, we're always touching things, and so uh, the more we're around each other, the more we're in groups, the more we're uh, liable to uh, contact the virus in that way. And Typical household cleaners should be fine to uh, take care of this virus, you know, Lysol, bleach, things like that. Uh, the third thing is probably the most important thing, and that's the nature of the virus is, is uh, not one that we're real familiar with um, in the fact that uh, it, the incubation time can be pretty long, and that's the time from when you contract the disease to the time to where you start showing symptoms from the disease. And... Uh, this this disease can be up to two weeks, we think, for that. And you could have the, you could be spreading the disease while you don't even know you have it. Mm. Um, and, and that's not typical with uh, like the common flu. You know, usually the incubation time for the common flu is about two days. And when it hits you, you feel, you feel it hits you and you, you almost self-quarantine because you, you don't feel like going anywhere. Whereas this virus, the the symptoms are so variable that you may not even feel the need to do that. And so I think that that aspect of the virus is really what's made it become a pandemic. Um, but it's also really the main driving force between behind this whole recommendation of let's all stay home. Let's all the best way that we can slow the progression of the disease is to not be around each other. And you mentioned risk and what, uh, what's the nature of the risk that it brings. Our highest risk population is the elderly. Um, the CDC is telling us everybody over 60 is at higher risk. Um, but as, as age advances, the risk actually goes up. And I'm talking about risk for developing complications from the disease. Also, um, people with other medical problems like um, hypertension, diabetes, COPD, heart failure, these people are going to be also at higher risk for developing complications. 
Another risk that I think is really important to highlight is that this virus really has the potential to overwhelm our healthcare capacity and our healthcare system. And we've actually seen that going on in Italy and not widespread, but in certain parts. And what I mean by that is um, our colleagues are telling us that about one in 20 um, patients who contract this disease or, or are infected require hospital care and about one in 10 actually require ICU care. Um, and so um, we really need to be vigilant as far as, um, you know, not allowing a lot of people to be infected at one time. That is what would really um, overwhelm our healthcare system. Um, we don't have enough hospital ICU beds and we don't have enough ventilators to, to deal with uh, if a lot of people were infected at one time. Oh. And so by not meeting in small group, not meeting in large groups, and not you know limiting our personal interactions, we can really slow that progression of disease. Um, as you and I were talking, I, I have brought up some of the things that I have noticed on social media, and I'd like you to respond to some of those. Um, first one, in a sense, you've already responded to, but I just want to say it out loud. There, um, there are things that we'll see on social media that basically are saying the reason that we are so ramped up about this and all the hype about this is actually politically driven. Um, respond to that. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say really regarding politics, but um, I would say that the physicians that, and I'm, I'm just speaking as a physician here, that I'm in contact with um, and the people in this community, um, we're working diligently to prepare and do what we need to do to take care of um, all of our patients in the community. And no one's talking about politics. <laughs> And we're not panicking either. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Thank you. Um, one of the other issues that I hear is it only takes one person to, to contract the disease from. So what is the big deal about limiting groups to, um, you know, if you're larger than 100 or 250 or 500, as we've seen baseball canceling this season, which is tragic. Um, you know, why take steps like that that seems arbitrary when it only takes one? Well, I think uh, it does only take one, but I think you're forgetting, or those people that are saying that are forgetting that if one person had contact with three people that same day and touched a counter that 20 people had contact with, then then they're actually in contact with 23, maybe even more people um, and so you can see that if we start gathering in large groups, that, that number's going to exponentially rise. Um, I mean, just one week ago, this was considered more of a travel-related issue, mm -hmm. but already we're starting to see some spread in the community, so this is um, important. One of the most common posts I'm seeing is that our reaction clearly is an overreaction. Because when you look at what happened with the swine flu, there was not this type of hysteria. And just some of the statistics I've seen online that with the swine flu, the total infected was 60.8 million. Total hospitalized was a little over 270,000 and total deaths was over 12,000. 
We're nowhere close to numbers like that with COVID-19, but yet it seems that the hysteria is much greater. Why? Why is that? Well, I think the main thing that has been postulated is that the, the or it's really not postulated, it's really fact, is that the death rate for this virus has been much higher. And um, for swine flu, the death rate was 0.02%. For seasonal flu, it's 0.01%. And for this virus, it's 2.0 to 4.0%. So that's an exponential difference in death rates. And I think that uh, that really speaks to what I said earlier uh, about 20% um, of people who become infected with this virus are going to need hospital care, and 10% of them are going to need ICU level care up to those numbers. And so if we do not do something to slow the spread and the progression of the disease by staying at home, uh, we're going to see a sharp spike in infectivity, and then those numbers are going to overwhelm our healthcare system. Something you mentioned when we were talking is that people will often say, well, the statistics are skewed for COVID-19 because we haven't had the testing. And so once we understand what the true total sample size is, we'll see that it's more in line with something like the swine flu. But you mentioned that that's actually not accurate. Right. These um, death rate numbers are actually produced by epidemiologists who are taking that into account, and I am not one, so I can't mm -hmm. explain that. But those types of numbers are coming into account. Okay, excellent. Why should people outside the high-risk group follow the recommended restrictions? I mean, they're likely only going to experience mild symptoms. Sure. I mean, I think this goes back to how the virus behaves. Um, we have to do our duty, like I was saying earlier, to protect those that are most vulnerable in our population. And so we also have to not, um, you know, limit our contacts, not touch as much to our face, cover our cough, wash our hands, even those of us who may not have chronic disease, because by doing that, we're limiting ourselves as being a vector for the disease. And that, that's the whole idea behind why the schools are closing. Um, that our that kids could be a huge vector, even though that they're they're not really seeing the negative effects of the virus. And by vector, meaning they're a carrier and a conduit for right. infecting right. others. Yeah. Um, what advice are you giving your patients about dealing with COVID nineteen? Sure. So first of all, if you experience any of the symptoms that. Um, have been mentioned, or especially multiple of the symptoms, you know, you just need to call your doctor, and um, I emphasize call, um, <laughs> call your doctor so that we can direct you on what is appropriate to do. Um, if you don't have a doctor, you can call the local ERs, and they have systems set up in place to help you. Um, but then also, I would say, let's listen to instructions from local officials and even national officials. I mean, President Trump just came on on Friday and told us that there's going to be an initiative to go online and put in your symptoms and, and see if you need to be tested and then be directed toward to a testing site. Um, you know as much detail about that as I do. Yeah. Uh, that's it. I mean, I don't even know if that's coming to Longview or not. But <clears throat> I think we just need to stay tuned because this is an ever-changing situation. 
And I, I think also I'm just telling people, you know, this is a great time to use this time for your benefit and to enrich yourself, enrich other people in ways that you um, wouldn't have necessarily thought of before. It's uh, not, it doesn't seem very popular and it seems very strange to um, cancel things. And so this is a, a waters that we haven't really waded in before. Um, question I told you I wasn't going to ask, but here, watch me do this anyway. Um, you, uh, you have also recommended that even small groups should not get together. Is that is that correct? And can yeah. you just explain a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think even person-to-person -person contact should be limited. And I think um, anything that we can do to slow down the, the rate of rise uh, of the potential of being infected is positive. Um, yes, it may become more and more important as we see, hopefully not, but if we do see more and more cases in our community, those things are going to become more and more important, but it's especially important right now to have this time where we're not infecting each other if we do have it, um, so that we really slow that progression of infectivity. When we talked, uh, I tried to summarize what I was understanding the core issue is by saying it is uncertainty. We do not know what we are dealing with here because this is new. And you also added, we do not know how everything is going to play out, what the impact is going to be in our community, healthcare system, and so forth. Do you think that is an accurate assessment of what the core issue is right now and why we have to take these steps? We just don't, we just don't know enough. Right. That's totally right. Okay. Um, this is uncertain territory for all of us, and we're providing the best recommendations that we can um, to go from there. I think, um, you know, we do things like wear our seatbelt whenever we um, go to get in the car or we prepare, you know, just a few Sundays ago we were talking about preparing for active shooters by, you know, mobilizing our safety team or whatever. This is the way that we prepare for this virus is we stay home. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just this, it's unpopular and it's strange, but this is new, but it's what we do. Dr. Wagama, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for uh, taking your time to help us understand what is true so we can make wise, informed decisions. So I appreciate it. I'd shake your hand, but I don't think I'm supposed to. Thank you, Air Five. <laughs> Um, I want to switch gears, and I'm going to give you a heads up now that we're not going to use slides this morning. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 13, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. And what we're going to do this morning is look at a situation where a very godly man was facing an uncertain but high-risk or potential high-risk situation, and we're going to look at how he responded to that, and um, we're going to look at it from two perspectives. We're going to see what he did, which is what is in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and then we're going to look at what was going on in his heart, which we find in Psalm 3. Now, as we... Um, 
as we are watching the news about this virus and we're trying to wrestle with how do we respond, I think we instinctively realize that there are two sort of polar opposite responses that we do not want to fall into. One is a response that is controlled by fear. And being controlled by fear shows up in things like people hoarding toilet paper. Um, and maybe, well, I shouldn't say favorite, but a, um, a very tragic example of this I, I just heard on the BBC uh, two days ago. And it was about a, a man, a relatively young, healthy man who was in a store, I think in London, and uh, he took every single box of pasta off the shelf. And uh, apparently this is a common thing right now, in, um, at least in the UK, according to the BBC, people are hoarding pasta. Um, there was an elderly woman that was clearly in need who very politely asked him for one box of pasta. And he very emphatically and rudely said no. Uh, and I think this is to me a tragic example of someone who was operating completely out of fear. Uh, I think our fear responses are responses where we look to creation or something in creation, such as our situation in life or the resources that we have available to us physically and materially, and we say, that is what is going to ensure my well-being. Because anything that we look to in creation that we think is going to ensure our well-being, we will fight desperately to keep, and we will be terrified to lose. And that leads to fear-based responses. The other response that we don't want to lean into is a pride-based or pride-driven response. And that is a response that says something like, I don't care what the experts say. So what that Dr. Walgama has an MD behind her name? Surely my 30 minutes on Facebook is more informed than what she knows. Um, there is a defiance and very often even a condescending spirit that goes with a pride-driven response. And we want to avoid that as well. Uh, I think we see those pride-driven responses when people on TV or on social media set themselves up as an expert when clearly they are not. And, um, and, and very often for the purpose of dismissing the advice from the experts. And part of what we deal with as we are wrestling through this is we are questioning, am I making the mistake of falling into either a fear-controlled or fear-driven response or a pride-controlled and pride-driven response? And how do I know? What does it actually look like to respond to the situation in faith as opposed to responding to the situation driven by fear or driven by pride? And I think David helps us a great deal. And we see this in 2 Samuel 15. And the situation that we are looking at is when David's son, Absalom, creates a coup and tries to overthrow David's kingship. And in verse 13 is the moment when David gets the news that his son is rising up against him. So let me read verses 13 through 17, and let's talk about those verses. And a messenger came to David saying, The heart of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. 
Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. Let me make a couple of observations. First, let's recap the situation. David's son Absalom is rising up against him. He is actually not in Jerusalem when this happens, but David gets word from a messenger that this, that this coup is, is about to take place, or, da- or Absalom is about to rise up. David immediately responds to this news from the messenger by running, by taking what in his mind was a wise precaution to protect himself and to protect the people around him. Now, put yourself in David's position at the moment he gets this message. I think a reasonable person could ask reasonable questions at this point. I mean, this is David's son. Is is David's son really going to carry through with this? I mean, shouldn't we just wait and see? What about all these people that are with David's son? These have been loyal followers of David for years. Are they really going to join in battle against David? Shouldn't we just wait and see and let this unfold? To me, the most compelling question would be, David, you are in this position because God put you there. And God has clearly protected you all along the pathway to putting you into the role of king. He has protected you as you have faced a lion and a bear and Goliath. He has protected you when your predecessor Saul was against you and tried to kill you. He has protected you time and time again. David, why go anywhere? Surely God is going to protect you right now. And I think that's the sort of thinking that we wrestle with when it comes to COVID-19. We, we wrestle with these same sorts of questions. Do we really need to do all of these things? Isn't this overreacting? But you need to remember what happens as the story of David and Absalom unfolds. God does protect David. God does deliver David. But central to God's deliverance of David was his wise action to protect himself and to protect the people around him. God used as the means of protection... The, the wise decision-making that David made in this moment in this passage. Now, David's strategy was to run. It was to run from the threat. That was a wise precaution to take. But if you just go down a few verses and look at verse 30, we're going to see that David actually hits the pause button on his strategy. And it's a very interesting moment. Verse 30 says, But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. Weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Now, the Mount of Olives was a place of worship. Now, think about 
what David is actually doing in this place of worship. Does it look like worshiping God? See, the problem is, very often in our pictures of what it means to worship, we think that worship includes only singing and smiles. But notice that David and the people with him are in deep grief, and they bring that grief before the Lord. He is weeping. The reason that he is barefoot is as a symbol that would have been known at that time as grief over being in exile. He is covering his head as a sign of sorrow, as a sign of mourning. This is a response of honest grief. Because you see, the threat from Absalom has cost David a lot. It has cost David to flee from his home. It has caused David to have to at least interrupt or radically change how it is he fulfills his God-given responsibility to be king to his people. And it has put people that he has loved in danger. And the appropriate response to what this threat has cost David was to grieve. And the appropriate response for the people around David was to grieve with him. And let's be honest, COVID-19 is going to cost us. For some people, it's going to cost uh, their health in possibly in very serious and dangerous ways. That is already happening around the world, and it could happen here. Hopefully it does not. It is certainly, in fact, it's already happening, uh, cause, cost us a disruption of life. Um, I think it's appropriate that we pray for our local business owners for whom this is going to cost revenue. I think it's appropriate to pray for the income of households who depend on being able to work and depend on those businesses. This is going to cost a lot. And one of the cruelest things that we can do is to minimize the grief and to minimize the cost by making people feel guilty. By saying things like, don't be sad, just trust God. As if those two things are opposed to one another. We can be sad and grieve and we can trust God. Another thing that we can do is just try to step in and solve the problem without engaging with the grief. These people who are with David didn't try to solve his problem they eventually will. They eventually will be a part of the solution. But they take time, just minutes outside of Jerusalem, just minutes after they have fled. And they take time and they pause. And together, they grieve before the Lord. That is what we need to do with one another. As we, as a community of believers, find that, that different ones are struggling in different ways. Let us engage and grieve with one another. I want to look at the same story from a different perspective now. I want to look at the same story from the perspective of what was going on in David's heart while all this was happening. And we find that in Psalm 3. And so again, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Psalm 3. And I want to simply read through the psalm because I want you to listen to the psalm with everything we just looked at as a backdrop. Psalm 3 says, O Lord, 
How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on their cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Do you hear the heart of faith? in a man whose wise strategy was to run. Do you see that the two do not contradict each other? Let's walk through this psalm very briefly. In verses 1 and 2, what David is doing here is, is he is going to the Lord and setting out, this is the nature of the threat. Here's the reason, Lord, why I, why I have adopted the wise strategy that I have adopted. And there is an, a... a a powerful example in that for us as we are called to state our fears out loud to the Lord. He already knows them. He knows what's going on inside of us. He knows what we're concerned about, but he invites us to come to him and show him that we trust him enough to speak our fears and our concerns out loud. The next section of the psalm is verses 3 and 4, and there David places himself under God's protection. The Lord is a shield about me. That's saying the Lord is my protector all around me. And when David says in that verse, he is the lifter of my head, he is saying that God is the one who, who supports him, who sustains him, who upholds him. We must, as part of our response to this virus, Say out loud, acknowledge to the Lord and acknowledge to others that we are under God's protection. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to take credit for what is not ours to take credit for. We can take credit for wise strategies and caution and say, this is the reason that I am protected. But David takes all of the wise precaution, the steps that he needs to take and comes back and says, it is not that, but it is the Lord who is my protector. Verses five and six, remarkable verses, because these are the results of David putting himself under the Lord's protection. David is able to rest confidently. He has put the plan in place and now he is in God's hands. And we need ourselves to declare our confidence in God's protection. We need to praise him for how he has already comforted us and how he has already protected us. Verse 7, David makes clear and is specific about what he wants God to do. What he wants God to do is to save him and to defeat his enemies. We have every right to go before the Lord and be specific in our request. He wants us to and say, God, 
protect me, protect my loved ones, protect our community, protect our healthcare workers who are battling this. Lord, protect us. Do not hesitate to ask God for specific intervention. And then finally, he wraps up with this remarkable statement of confidence in the only source of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David is clear that his wise actions do not replace God's salvation. If David is saved, it will only be because the Lord has protected him. And we need to continually reaffirm before the Lord and with one another that God is our salvation. So how do we know if we are responding in fear, responding in pride, or responding in faith? I think David's really helpful here. Um, If David were being controlled by fear, He would never have stopped at the mountain to go before God. Because his strategy was clear. Get out of Jerusalem. And Mount of Olives is walking distance from Jerusalem. And what he does is despite his wise strategy, which God will work through, David takes time to go before the Lord. We have to make sure in our mindset that everything that we might use or depend on as a part of our strategy does not become what we ultimately put our trust in. If we do, we will enter into a fear-based response. How do I know if I'm being controlled by pride? Well, if David had been controlled by pride, the second the messenger would have shown up, David would have said, I know better. I am the king. And... This is what we're going to do or not do based on what I know and think. And when we truly ignore the people who are really the experts, um, I think we are setting ourselves up to be like David, had David ignored the messenger. So what does it look like to be controlled by faith? I want to pull out five principles that I think we see in David's faith-controlled response, both in 2 Samuel and in Psalm 3. And the first principle is this, a faith-controlled response starts with the understanding that the Lord is your protection and salvation, not yourself, which is a pride-based response, not anything in creation, which leads to a fear-based response. One of the evidences of a faith-controlled response by David is the fact that he stops to pray. And one of the evidences of a faith-controlled response in our lives is the central place, place of prayer as we respond to the virus. We need to make prayer central. We need to pray for one another and with one another. And one of the ways that we are trying to facilitate this is through a prayer guide that is right here. So come by and get one. Um, actually, no, don't come by and get one. You will find this online. If you go to FBC's website, on the homepage, you can download this prayer guide. And it walks you through, not to be cheesy, but 19 different concerns that you can pray through. It also gives you another way of praying that I think is very powerful and very helpful. It lists 19 different attributes of God. 
And it invites you to enter into praying that these attributes would be made evident in the midst of the situation that we face. So I would encourage you to go online and download that and use that within your families to pray uh, over the next several weeks. Second principle, a faith-controlled response takes wise precautions to protect self and others in the face of danger. David listened to the messenger that was sent to him, and we need to listen to the wise messengers who have been sent to us. The real ones, the ones who actually have been trained and have the data. Part of protecting others also means taking only what you need at the stores and not hoarding. Share the pasta with the old lady who needs it. It means respecting that others, even if you're not, may be in a very high-risk position and they need you to take precautions to protect them even if it's inconvenient. Third principle is a faith control response has as its goal that God is glorified and known through your life. Where do I get this from? I get this from the fact that David wrote Psalm 3. That David, with others, paused in order to go before the Lord, and David did that in front of others. What a powerful example. So in your speaking and in your postings online, don't allow people to think that it is your wise actions that are saving you. Be clear that you are taking wise actions, but be clear that salvation belongs to the Lord. Principle four, a faith-controlled response grieves the losses you incur and grieves with others for their losses. David did not grieve alone. The people with him grieved with him. So let's not ignore or dismiss or understate the real hurts and losses and sacrifices that people are making around them. I will go off script here for a second. And as I've been talking with Dr. Wolgama over the last week, one of the things that has become evident is the unusual level of burden that is being, paced, is being placed on healthcare providers. It is being placed on our doctors and nurses and others who, who are going to have to deal with this. And they will have to make sacrifices and hard decisions about time with family, be put in positions that are well outside of their comfort zone um, in order to care for others. And we need to be mindful of that. We need and to pray for them and to ask the question, how do we support you and love you well? We have many people who are facing the decision of, with schools closed, how can I go to work? Are there ways that we can provide resources to one another for watching children to allow people to work? Uh, If you are in that situation, I would invite you to, uh, Adam gave us contact information earlier, and email us, contact us, let us know. We don't have a solution that's ready-made, but we will enter into the problem with you and do what we can to help you. Finally, a faith-controlled response rests knowing that the Lord will sustain us. David rested because God sustained. We are going to feel anxiety. 
over the days and weeks ahead. And we need to counter that anxiety with the truth. And the truth is that God is our shield. He is the one who sustains us and that salvation belongs to the Lord. And as we face that anxiety, we remember that no matter what happens to us, if we are sick or if we are well, if our income is unaffected or if it is affected, God's ultimate work in our lives is that we would walk with him and become more like Christ. That's what it means to be, to have well-being. That's what it means to live an abundant life. And God will never once give up on that work in your life, no matter what the conditions we are in. We may go through sickness. We may go through hard times. But we live an abundant life because God sustains us and works in our life that we may know him better and become more like his son. I think it's appropriate since we have said that the Lord is our salvation and one of the ways that we enter into that truth is through prayer. I think it's appropriate for us to take a few minutes and to pray silently. If you're with someone, we do have folks here uh, this morning. If you're with someone or at home and you are with someone, pray together. And what I want us to do is actually pray through Psalm 3. And so I'm going to guide us through praying Psalm 3. And we'll just take a different section of the psalm, and I'll encourage you on a way to pray it, and then I'll move us through the psalm. The psalm opens with David saying, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. As you take about two minutes and pray silently, express what your concern is to the Lord. Raise the needs that you have, the fears that you have. Be honest with him. What are you concerned about? The psalm continues in verses 3 through 6. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Take a minute or two and, and commit that you are trusting the Lord for your protection and well-being. Say that to him. Spend some time praising him for how he has already shown himself 
to be your comforter and to be your protector. Verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Take a minute or two to be specific about what you want the Lord to do in your life, in this community, in this church, around the world, in the face of the coronavirus. David ends the psalm with the declaration, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Close with thanksgiving and confidence in God's blessing. And Heavenly Father, that is how we close this time together. We close this time with thanksgiving because we know that no matter what happens, we know that matter, no matter how this plays out, you love us, you desire our good, you desire for us to know you better, and there is no greater treasure that we could ever have than knowing you. 
You desire that we would live more and more like your son. And Lord, there is no greater life that we can live than a life that looks like Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that even a situation like the coronavirus is for you not something that is a problem, but for you is an opportunity to reach into our lives and make us more like you. And Lord, we ask that you would do that. And Lord, we ask that you would embolden us where we need to meet the needs of others sacrificially, where we need to step into hard situations that you would give us the courage to do so. Lord, help us to make wise plans. But Lord, help us to understand that even in the midst of wise plans, the best plans, our salvation always comes from you. And we thank you that you give it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I love the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Because it's a hymn that we can sing whether we feel it or not. Sometimes we sing it because it is what is true despite how we feel. And I think it's appropriate for us to end this time together with the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul.
means exactly what we declare. It is well with my soul, with the soul of every person under your care, Lord, which is all of us. No matter what we are facing, no matter what we are experiencing, it is well with our soul because we are in your hands. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the way that you care for us and will care for us in the days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to leave you with a thought or two. First one is going to be very practical. If you have not signed up for the midweek moment, please sign up for that. Contact us, contact us at the church so we can get you signed up if you need help with that because we are going to try to communicate a lot over the weeks ahead through that vehicle. Let me remind you of what we have said about God this morning. God is our salvation. He is our only salvation, but he is a sure and confident salvation, no matter what we are facing. So the challenge that we are to leave here with is to act wisely and live confidently in our Lord. You are dismissed. Look forward to seeing you online again soon.